Lady, I believe your son is the promised king of his people. What is his name? Jesus. His name is Jesus. Man, I love seeing families together. We've got the little ones in here. Who was here for Good Friday? And that was a powerful service, wasn't it? Some of you, uh, we've had in this Bible series that we're do doing uh, 18 people give their lives to Christ, and that's something worth celebrating. That's why we do what we do. So we've got some of the kids in here with us, and uh, I imagine your families have, I don't know this, but our families have traditions at Easter, our families, I only have one family that I'm from, my family has traditions, you guys have traditions on Christmas? You know, we open one present on Christmas Eve, the rest on Christmas Day, anybody do that? Anybody open them all like a week before Christmas, anybody? No, nobody, any of you rip a little hole and try to see, no, we don't want to, that's, that's getting to my, do you, do you have Easter traditions? No, nobody has Easter traditions? Why does Easter get second billing? I wonder why. I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. I love seeing people dressed up, some not so much. Freaked a little bit of you out today because uh, not only did I get a little more dressed up than usual, but I shaved and so walked into one guy today and he goes, Pastor Rob, you look 12. <laughs> Thought that was a little far, maybe not 12, maybe 13. I can at least, at least a teenager here. Well, I love viewing Easter, gang. And I think through the eyes of a child. And I think this is a great way to start today, since we've got so many kids in here. Um, in fact, let's do that. Take a look at Easter through the eyes of a child. <laughs> what do you like about Easter? Celebrate with your family. Easter hunting for eggs. You get to open them and there's stuff in there. Money and grass. Lots of candy. What does the Easter bunny do? Uh, he hides the eggs. He's a person that's dressed up in a costume. Who is Jesus? Jesus is like a person God. He is God's son. What does Jesus look like? Long brown hair and a brown beard. And he's got like a robe on. He has this belt, like what karate people wear, I think. Who are the disciples? Twelve chosen followers of Jesus. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, and Valphius, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, Bartholomew. They're the good guys. What did Jesus teach? How to pray and that God's real. To always love one another when it's hard. Teaching them about Christmas and Valentine's Day. What kinds of miracles did Jesus do? He turned water into wine. He made five loaves and two fishes spread a long way. He helped people if they were sick. He walked on water. There was a storm and it was all windy and I said, Jesus, Jesus. And then he calmed it down so, so they won't be scared. What would be a really cool miracle for him to do? For me to be a superhero like Batman. Let me ride shark. Fix the government. What did they eat at the Last Supper? Bread and like some dipping sauce. Taking I get some french rice and there's the juice. Some vegetables with chocolate on it. Why did some people not like Jesus? That everybody was calling him king. They didn't believe that he was God's son. 
They thought he would only hang out with the people who had done no sin, but he helped the sinners because they're the ones who needed help. What did those people do to Jesus? They were swords trying to capture him, whipped him, and put a crown of thorns on his head, and made him carry the cross a long way. Put him on a cross and stabbed him. They hurted his heart. He died on Good Friday. And then somebody put him in a tube that had this big rock over it. What happened on Sunday morning? He grew from the ground. He rose from the dead. What did the disciples do when they saw Jesus? Very afraid, thought he was a ghost. They saw the scars, they touched him. Jesus, Jesus is alive, and I love him. They were so happy. How do we follow Jesus? Confess our sins. We ask him into our heart by praying. And then he's like in our heart. <laughs> Why did Jesus do all of this? It was all for us because he loves us. He said, I don't want them to be scared, and whenever they're hurt, I want to help them. We love you, Jesus. I love that. Gang, why is it that little children get it? So easily get it, the simplicity of the gospel, and then the older we get, the more we complicate it. So we'll shift gears a little bit and we'll talk about something that even a child can relate to. Something none of us like, something we face when we're old enough to understand it, which is probably about the age of three. Talking about darkness. And there's many forms of it. You guys remember, it wasn't that long ago, it was only a few months ago. Remember Superstorm Sandy that hit the northeast coast? Any of you from the northeast? Got a few of you there. And so some of you had friends that were up there and it's what's called a superstorm. It hit on October 29th of 2012, and New York City took a massive hit from the storm. Parts of New Jersey, too. And what happened was they were plunged into darkness. And I didn't know this, but some of the places in the major cities remained dark for weeks. Could you imagine that? So when the sun goes, there's a little bit of a ring in my thing if you want to, uh, is it just me hearing that? You guys all hear it? Never mind. So they're for weeks, you know, when the sun goes down, it's going to be utterly dark. There's not going to be street lights. There's not going to be lights in your house. You're going to pull the candles out, and there was high crime, and people would rob houses late at night, and so they lived in fear and darkness, and it went on and on and on. It claimed lives, actually. The murder rate went up. In fact, I think the darkness that happened to those cities might very well scar the people that lived there probably for the rest of their lives, because the things that happened were so scary, so painful. Some of us know what that's like, the whole darkness thing. I mean, maybe you live with pretty consistent power and electricity. Maybe you've only had power go out for a day or two. So I'm not talking about that, but there's many forms of darkness. There's many forms of light, too. There's a darkness of hopelessness. There's the darkness of fear. There's real physical darkness when the lights go out. There's crippling darkness. There's lasting darkness. The Bible has a lot to say about both darkness and light. If you're living in darkness and any of those things I mentioned, or things I didn't mention, what's so cool about Easter that people don't get, but what is so cool about Easter, better than Christmas, 
So we have it backwards. We celebrate the living daylights out of Christmas. And we virtually ignore Easter. We don't know what to do with it. I mean, that's proven when we stick a bunny in there and color eggs. And we're just going, I don't know. Who came up with those things? It really looks like we, we don't have a clue. So we try to find some little things for the kids to do and kind of gloss over what it's really about. But you can move from darkness to light in a heartbeat at Easter. The greatest hope of all the world is Easter. So we can't ignore it. Now, for the past four weekends, if you've been here, how many of you have been here for the past four weekends? So we got our early crowd, and a lot of them have been here for this, a lot of you have been here for this Bible series that's been running on the History Channel. Well, we've been following the stories in this Bible series. How many of you have been able to watch it? How many of you recorded it? You're going to watch it later. Yes, uh, modern times, technology. Well, this, this series will end tonight. And I encourage you to watch it tonight because this is the climax. This is the pivotal point of the, the summit of the whole series. I've been talking about sort of this thread in the Bible that goes from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I've called it the scarlet thread. And actually it leads, it's the color of blood and it leads to the cross. But the cross is not the end. If it was, then we would be most to be pitied, Christians. We'd be without hope. But it climaxes and it, and it comes to its fruition and it hits the peak and the summit at the resurrection. That's what gives us hope. So in our worship experiences for the past four weeks, we have seen how the redemption of God can cleanse all of mankind. From death to life, we've seen. From slavery to freedom. From victimhood to victory, the third week. And from religion to relationship, last week. Today, it's from darkness to light. It begins with Jesus' arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, a series of incidents that took his friends completely by surprise. When Jesus came into Jerusalem in the last week of his life, it started with a parade. And most people think that at that point in history, because it was Passover, because it was the biggest festival of the whole year for the Jews, that as many as two million people would gather in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem can only probably hold maybe 150, 180,000. So where did they stay? Where, does, where did two million people stay? The Bible calls them tabernacles, booths, tents. So all the hillside, imagine this, around Israel would be filled with these tents where people were basically camping out for a couple of weeks to celebrate Passover. So it would just be a mob. So when Jesus came to town and he rode in as predicted in the Old Testament, on the foal of a donkey, there could have been a couple hundred thousand, maybe more people in this parade celebrating the coming Messiah, the son of David, the king of kings, and so it couldn't have started better. So if you're Jesus' followers and you've been walking with him the whole time, you have seen him do what? You've seen him do miracles. Casual little things like we see on TV. Say baby. Great, you're healed. You're healed. Is your back hurt? How's it feel now? You're healed. No, they weren't little miracles like that. They were huge. Blind people given sight. Lame people able to walk. Three times Jesus raised someone from the dead. Lazarus, the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead had just happened a couple weeks before this. So his popularity is at a peak. He's walked on water. He's calmed storms. And now he's got this parade. So if you're a disciple, even though Jesus has said to them, it's going to change. When I walk into Jerusalem, everything's going to change. I'm going to give my life. Even though he said that, do you hear it? That's my question. Do you hear that? I'm going to say you don't. I'm going to say I wouldn't have. I'm going to say that's going to go mural. It's going to go right over your head because you're seeing that he can conquer anything, even death. And so you're going, well, it doesn't really matter if 
these religious leaders try to get you, Jesus, you can overcome it because you can overcome anything. So wouldn't it be a surprise if he was arrested, beaten, put on a cross, and died all in a few hours? Wouldn't it? How's that for shocking? How's that for a reversal of anything that you thought was going to happen? So I want you to know that his followers completely numb, completely dumbfounded, and they get a lot of criticism because they ran and denied and betrayed and were in fear, but the thing is they were in complete and utter shock. The whole program's been turned upside down. When that happened in Matthew's words, I think it's a pretty accurate description. He says this, darkness came over all the land. Darkness came over all the land when Jesus was tried, convicted, and executed as a criminal. Literal darkness, but also the darkness of hopelessness and the darkness of fear and the darkness now of doubt. And you're going to see his followers act completely different. Gone is the confidence that they had. So when it came over them, literal darkness and this darkness in their hearts, it came over their minds as well and their spirits. Now think about this in your own life. Mostly this happens when an event snaps us out of our dreamlike existence, right? Like Hurricane Sandy or September 11th. How many of you can think back right now and remember where you were when you saw the planes on TV? How many of you remember that moment? I mean, I do. Almost everybody. It was chilling, wasn't it? And maybe like me for a moment, maybe like me for days, you thought, we don't live in the same country anymore. Any of you feel that way? Everything's changed. And you, and you had this, this feeling, this doubt, this fear that, is this how life's going to be from now on? Can they get at us? Am I right? Multiply that by 100, by 1,000. And you have the disciples. Because I can't conquer death. You can't conquer death. Jesus could. Imagine having that kind of hope and then have it taken away. That's darkness. So, I'm pretty sure that most of you know what that feels like. You might even feel that way today. Or at least know somebody who does. If that's the case, I want you to know. And I want you to hear this loud and clear. I don't want you to just hear it in your ears, because anybody can do that, but I hope you hear it in your heart this morning. There actually is hope. There really, really is hope, as this clip from the Bible miniseries shows. you. You were supposed to be his rock. I failed him. Now I can't ask him to forgive me. Come back if you need anything. I will. Have a safe journey back to Galilee.
Bless you. Tell me where he is. Mary. Teacher? Go and tell our brothers. I am here. That short scene summarizes something that happened in the Gospel of John. There's two other scenes that we're going to look at. And my hope is that you're going to get three very powerful aspects of salvation from these three scenes. Your salvation. Even that gang in our culture has been kind of cheapened. Have you been saved? Yep. I'm taking care of you. I raised my hand when I was young. I walked an aisle. I think I'm covered. But it's more than that. Do you know how great the salvation purchased for you on the cross really is? Hopefully today you'll see beyond a shadow of a doubt three aspects of this great salvation. The first aspect, I want you to write this down if you're a note taker. If you're not, write this down. First one, I am saved from the darkness of confusion and enter into the light of a new commission. That's the first thing. Some of you probably hear that and go, that's not so great. What are the other two? Hold on, this is great. You're not just saved, gang. You have a purpose. You're saved to do something. You have a job. And the hint of that job was shown right there in that little clip. I'll say it again. I'm saved from the darkness of confusion and enter into the light of a new commission. Turn in your Bibles. Hopefully you brought them or turn on your iPhones or turn in your iPads to the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. And find the 20th chapter. Ready? Go. Time's up. Find it. 20th chapter, fourth gospel. Let's look at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. I want to pause there because, believe it or not, we blow by this. Okay, let's get to Peter, let's get to John, on with the program. But think about Mary's probable state of mind at this point. This is why I brought up September 11th. This is why I brought up Hurricane Sandy, because 
Gang, she was in a dark place. Just two days earlier, again, the hands of those that were here at Good Friday. Let me see you. So you got a glimpse, and what did I tell you? We showed passion clips. For some of you, it's the first time you saw this. It was very, very rough. And one thing, two things, really, we learned uh, about those clips is that it, it might have been painful to look at, but gang, it was worse than that. It was worse than Mel Gibson's passion. How do I know? Because Isaiah says that when he comes, he's beaten so badly that no, those who know him best would not recognize him. You could still recognize the guy in the passion, right? Jim Caviezel played that part. You could see it. It was worse than that. As painful as it is to see that, Jesus was beaten worse, and what happened on the cross was worse. But we need to come face to face, because that's the cost, the great cost that was paid for your salvation and my salvation. So two days earlier, think back to that, if you've ever seen the Passion. This is what Mary saw. She was at the foot of the cross. This is what she witnessed. She'd seen him suffer things that I, I promise you, she can't get out of her mind. If you've ever lost a loved one, they tell you that grief hits pretty hard, maybe the, the initial shock, but the worst of it's going to hit days later. That's going to stay with you. If you were at the foot of that cross and you saw what happened to Jesus, it's going to stay with you the rest of your life. You know how people sometimes say this too, you, we see what we want to see, right? See what you want to see. You ever heard that? You ever talk, you have it? Well, you've heard it now. I mean, sometimes you can tell somebody, really, you can't see that? Well, it's obvious. Well, if you've been taught something your whole life that's different, then sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. You can't see something that's right in front of your face. We see what we want to see, and we don't see what we don't want to see. And she might have wanted to see Jesus, of course, and he'd said that he was going to raise again, but everything in her mind and in her grief and in the darkness told her this, this is impossible. And then she sees a stone rolled away, and her grief is even worse. Now they're, it's a mockery. They're, somebody took his body? So that's her state of mind. So I think we can be pretty confident, all agree, you know, that Mary did not go whistling off to the tomb and go, oh, he's going to rise again, so this is just a formality. No, she's very, very down. She's not in a good mood. In fact, I think she was in a dangerous, dark place. I don't just think she's in a dark place. I think she's in a dangerous, dark place. I've seen people as a pastor and counsel them where they're in such a dark place with the loss of someone that you're worried for their own life. Have you ever seen that? And I think that Mary probably walked to this tomb in the morning to put the fragrances out and, and to do what is traditional to do, but she probably didn't even want to live. The greatest hope she ever had is gone, so she's probably almost robotic at this point. Maybe you can identify right now. Maybe you're in a dark place. Maybe you recently have been in one. But I doubt it's as dark as where Mary was that morning. So look what happens next. Let's skip down to verses 14 to 18. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Well, thinking he was the gardener. Now, by the way, let's back up there. Why are you crying? Is that cruel? It's Jesus talking. He probably knows, but it's not cruel. You know, I think what he's trying to start the process of doing right here is, I think he's trying to say, Mary, why are you crying? I know what you're crying about, but didn't the one who you think is dead, didn't he tell you he wouldn't be in this tomb? Why are you crying? You should be celebrating. So just a tiny little rebuke there to say, if you'd have believed me, you wouldn't have been going through this kind of grief. Who is it that you're looking for? Now he's kind of having a little bit of fun with her. Thinking he was the gardener, she says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I'll get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Isn't it funny that when people say our names, we pay attention? 
You know, when you're in a conversation with someone and they go, dude, you don't really look, especially if you're a girl, I would think. But when somebody says your name, all of a sudden you snap up and you listen. I mean, people, people write songs about this, say my name, say my name. People want to hear their name, right? There's something about that. Well, she didn't know anything until Jesus said, Mary. Now all of a sudden she knows whoever's standing out there knows me. And all of a sudden it came to light. She turned around toward him and cried out, Rabboni. She cried out, teacher. Jesus said, and she obviously ran out there and grabbed a hold of him. So he said, he said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. So he already knew. In a matter of weeks, I'm going home. Go instead, and I'll hear this, to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them that he'd said these things. So she sees Jesus, first she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's a gardener. Believe it or not, this is where the critics come out. Well, they come out all along this trying to prove the resurrection didn't happen, but it's something they can't prove. I mean, this is so carefully crafted by God that everything falls in place. It's relatively easy to prove it did happen. You've got the Roman soldiers there. There's no way that the disciples could have overpowered all those Roman soldiers. They're gone. I mean, there's so many things that point to this, and yet critics will come here, and the thing they grab a hold of is Mary not recognizing Jesus. Oh, it couldn't have been true. I mean, look, if she's a follower and she's walking with him and, and had seen him and heard him nearly every day for three years, this isn't likely. Even Christians make excuses here. No, 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 maybe uh, as the video portrayed, it was the morning light that got in her eyes. Uh, maybe the radiance of his appearance because he is the risen Lord. Maybe that played tricks on her and that's why. Maybe her vision was clouded by tears, some say. I've heard all these. Maybe she didn't look directly at him, really but maybe noticed someone there, just not him, all these things, others suggest. You wanna know what I think? I'm a simple guy, just a simple guy. Some of you go, yeah, we noticed, thank you. I'm no Oxford Rhodes Scholar or anything, but let me draw your attention back to verse one. Can we do that? This really isn't that hard. Early on in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Okay, that's one of the things on the History Channel they got wrong. There wasn't business going on. It wasn't light and bustling. It says right here it was still dark when she went to the tomb. And it wasn't a 15-day journey like they made it look. It's pretty close. By the time she arrived and saw the stone rolled away, it might have been where the sun was just starting to come up. But it's pretty dark. You can't see anything. She had to tiptoe along. She might have had an oil lamp, but that's not really going to throw a beam What do you think? I'm guessing she didn't have her Navy SEAL night vision goggles on. So I'm thinking she just couldn't see him. Now add to that the grief and maybe the sun coming up and that it was Jesus and that you see what you want to see and the confusion and everything. And I find it much easier to believe that she didn't recognize him than that she did. Oh, hi, Jesus. No. And so her condition, her initial confusion disappeared when? Catch this, gang. When Jesus called her by name, man, her grief evaporated like the fog. You ever have something when you're so dark and something happened and that quick it's gone? Maybe you thought you lost something that is so important to you and then you find it and all of a sudden, I mean, it just changes in seconds, doesn't it? 
I mean, this kind of a change from hopelessness to hope and thrilling hope might have been so abrupt it could have just about stopped her heart. Her darkness lifted, and in its place, excitement and joy just rushed in. But please don't miss this. I mean, this is where people just let go of the story. They just say, look, she's got hope. It's great. Now she's going to go and live a happy life. No, she gets her job right here. Did you catch it? She gets her job, and I hope you caught it because it's your job too, if you're a Christ follower. She was given a commission. Now, Mary's a true believer. In many ways, she's proved that over and over again. She never denied Jesus like Peter. She didn't portray him like Judas. She didn't run when all the other disciples did. She was there with Jesus at the foot of the cross to the very end when he died, and she's the first one at the tomb. She may very well be the most dedicated, committed follower Jesus ever had. So there's no doubt that she is holy and truly saved. And we toss that word around like crazy. Are you saved? Hey, I've been saved. So here's my question for you about this salvation that 85% of Americans claim to have. Why do you think Jesus didn't just say to her, Mary, go get the others. Next train for heaven leaves in 20 minutes. Better be on it. After all, you're saved. And the point of you being saved is that we got to go. We've got to get out of this sinful, messy, ugly place and get out of here. He didn't say that at all. Now, she is saved, right? But he didn't take her up to heaven. He gave her a commission. i got a test for you guys. It's early, but I think you're sharp. Here it comes. There's two things we can't do in heaven. I'm going to actually give you the answer, and you just got to pick between the two. You think you guys can do this? Is it too early to do this, or can you do it? All right, here we go. I got somebody vehemently nodding, no, I believe in you, I think you can do this. Two things you can't do in heaven, one, evangelize, and two, sin. Not yet, hold on. Which one do you think God left you here to do? Can you get it? Somebody like, hold on. No, you have a commission, and the commission is two little letters, one little tiny word, go, go. What did Jesus tell Mary right away? Your job begins now. You are saved. You are a daughter of the living God. Go. Go and what? Go and tell the others that I am risen. She's the first one with that commission, but we have the same commission. His resurrection tells you, among other things, that this life is not all there is, gang. It tells you that death is not the end. It tells you that you hope in Christ, all your hopes can be revived. It tells you that your Savior has triumphed over the worst the world can possibly throw at you. What's the worst the world can possibly throw at you? They, they could kill you. And Jesus has beaten even that. <clears throat> Jesus' word to Mary is the word to me and you too. Go. We have five G's at Impact Church. I did a whole series on them a couple months ago. One of them is go. Go. It's action. Because have you noticed something about faith? James talks about this. Here's what I believe about faith, and I believe it because it's written in the Bible. And I believe God's word. Faith isn't really faith unless there's action. It's not really faith unless there's action. So if people say they believe and do nothing, there's no faith there. Now Hebrews tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So how do you know if you have faith? Well, Jesus says, if you do this, this will happen. Then if you really believe that, you'd do it. If you say, I believe that, and then go in the opposite direction, I'm going to say, you don't believe that. So here's the key. Faith will have action. So if you are saved and Jesus tells you to go, I'm thinking you're going to go. If 
Faith isn't really faith until there's action. In fact, I think the darkness of confusion actually lifted, not in the hearing. I don't think it really happened 100% when Jesus said, Mary. I think it happened 100% when he said, go. It happened in the going. Jesus once healed 10 lepers, but I love how he did this one. They fell at his feet, 10 with leprosy, said they wanted to be healed, knew he could heal them, and Jesus told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Well, if you're a leper and you're, and you're just eaten away by this disease, you're probably going, I don't really want to show myself to the priest, but what I'd really like is to be healed. How about we start there? He said, no, go and show yourself to the priest. Do you know what he meant? Do you really believe? They could have just said yes, but he said, why don't you go show yourselves to the priest because that's what you're supposed to do when you've been cleansed of leprosy to prove it. They'll give you a clean bill of health and then you could leave the leper colony and rejoin the masses. Only thing is, they weren't healed. But the Bible says that they got up and left and while they were going and heading for the priest, he healed them. That's great, Pastor. What does that have to do with anything? Only that they were healed in the going. They were healed in the going. Not in the, I believe, not in the hand raised, not in the standing up, in the connection, in the action, in the going. They went. Darkness is dispelled in the light of a new commission, a new purpose. That's not all. So that's one thing about this great salvation. Write this down. Here's the second thing. I'm saved from the darkness of fear and enter into the light of a new presence and peace. So let's look at another part of the resurrection story in the following verses. Guys back there, is there a light that you can, overhead light that you can put on here? Just wondering because I can't see that good. I'm blind. <clears throat> so let's look at verses 19 to 23. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the doors were locked, or with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Do you guys get that? Who's in there? I'll tell you one guy that's in there, Peter who got out of a boat during a storm and walked on water? Peter, bold Peter, who cut the ear off against the Roman battalion and all these people and said, I'll fight him by myself. He is in a room with the door locked, cowering in fear, for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now the door's locked, right? So how did Jesus pull that off? In his resurrected body, he went right through the wall. Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. For you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now let's reflect on that a little bit, because you've got to get this. The verses there said the disciples were behind doors that were locked. Why? Again, I'm, I'm not an Oxford Road scholar, so I'll just look at the text. Why were they behind that? For fear. For fear. Not like a little locked door is going to stop anybody, but it made them feel better. So think about it. This is Peter who walked on water. This is James. And guess what James is called in Scripture? He's got a nickname. James is the son of thunder and the coward behind a locked door. John, who stood by Jesus to the bitter end, behind locked door, for fear. They all cowered together in the darkness for fear. Why? Because they thought they no longer had Jesus with them. Thought. They did. The whole time. 
but they thought he was gone. Any of you guys got an older brother? Who's got an older brother? <clears throat> Did you have him? In, how much older? Scream it out. Who's got an older brother that's only one to three years older? All right. So when you're at school and stuff, that's kind of cool, right? People pick on you. Unless your brother picked on you too, then the story won't work for you, I guess. But if you had a cool older brother, sometimes you go to school and people are picking on you and you, hey, don't pick on me because my brother who's a senior, even though I'm just a freshman, is going to beat you up. Imagine if you have Jesus behind you. I mean, he can, the things he could do, it gave them incredible confidence. It's not that Peter got out of the boat and just thought, you know, I've seen Jesus do some incredible things, but he's never done this. Watch me walk on water. No, Peter walked on water because Jesus was walking on water. And he said, if that's you, let me come to you. It was all because of Jesus. Their confidence and their hope and their boldness and their courage was because of Jesus. So if you think he's removed from the equation, your knees are going to knock, you're going to be in fear, your confidence will be in locked doors. But that's not much confidence. They thought they didn't have Jesus. Now my thought is that, and my suspicion is some of you probably have felt that way. I don't feel God. I don't feel like he's in my life. Maybe mentally, maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually, you're behind locked doors. If you can't relate, think of it this way. The fear of losing a job. Fear of losing someone's love. Hitting home now. Fear of being hurt again. The fear of maybe messing up. Any number of things. But notice what happened in the next verse as we read. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be unto you. Jesus said, peace. And he banished their fears with his presence. Isn't that how it works? I don't know about you, but in my salvation, when I just feel, and I know you shouldn't put a lot of trust in just feelings, but when I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing I'm afraid to do. There's nothing. The confidence it gives me, nothing. Just I know that he's with me. That's what matters. Then he gave them the Holy Spirit by whom his presence would continue. Sometimes people say, I wish I lived in the days of miracles and all that. You live in a better day. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart and lives there. God can live in your heart. That's better than seeing miracles in the olden days. Maybe you think, well, I've heard this story my whole life at Easter. Here I am again. But maybe you don't realize that that story can be your story. That story's meant to be your story. Salvation in Jesus Christ saves from the darkness of fear and brings you into the light of His presence and peace. So I'm not going to pick on you, but I do want you to think. Are you afraid today? Any kind of fear. Are you afraid today? Jesus can come to you, and his one word for you is peace. Do not fear. Here's the third thing. I'm saved from the darkness of doubt and enter into the light of a new beginning. So let's look at the text one more time, and we'll close with this last part here. Now Thomas, this is verses 24 to 29, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came into that room. The thing we just read about, Thomas was out doing something else. <clears throat> so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But what would you think if you're Thomas? Sure you have. You've seen a lot of things, I'm sure. But he said to them, here's where I stand. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. I'm just making that declaration. I've walked with him for three years. I've put my whole life in this. I've invested, and so I can at least touch it. I want to feel this, not just see it. Seeing's believing. For me, it's seeing, touching, total, total acknowledgement. Otherwise, I'm out. Wow. But he said to them, unless I feel the marks, unless I see, 
Not going to happen. A week later, seven days the disciples are telling him, but, but really he did come. And Thomas is in this other place. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas this time was with them, though the doors were locked. Really? Really, Peter? He's coming and he's talked to you, and you're back to locking the door again. So he's not there. <clears throat> Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, You know what's cool about this? He wasn't there when Thomas said this, but he heard this. He hears you. Everything you say. So he said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and believe. Thomas hadn't been in the room when Jesus appeared to the other disciples. I already told you that. So he needed all this, or at least declared that he needed it. So the risen Christ appeared and removed all doubt. But I want you to notice something else. This is always blown by. This is very, very important. Notice that Thomas had vowed not to believe until he what? Touched Jesus' hands and put his finger in the side. So let me ask you to look at those verses again, especially 24 or 29. Tell me if it says that Thomas touched Jesus' wounds. Do you see that anywhere? You're not going to see that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or Acts, or anywhere else. All you see, and in fact, in some of the Gospels, it says that Thomas fell to his knees and cried out, my Lord and my God. He didn't touch him at all. He didn't need to. It's funny. He made a declaration of exactly what he needed, and Jesus said, you don't need what you think you need. It does not say that Thomas touched him. The very next thing it says is Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He apparently didn't need to touch the wounds. He only needed to see Jesus for himself. And believe it or not, gang, that's true for all of us. We may think we need proof. We may think we need something tangible. Hey, Jesus, why don't you appear to me and let me touch you? Something irrefutable before we can believe. But we really, really don't. We need to see Jesus with the eyes of our hearts. Do you understand when I say that? Do you get that? I mean, it's not as powerful to see Jesus even with your eyes as it is to truly see him with all of your heart. That's powerful. You know, the eyes of your heart have the power to transform you. The eyes in your head have the potential to cause you to believe some facts but not really change your life. The Bible says in Hebrews, without faith it's impossible to please God. Why do you suppose that is? You think that faith is the ninth ingredient in heavenly spiritual upside down cake and oh you need faith now it's complete you think that why, why is that <clears throat> well faith is the hope and trust in things unseen that's what faith is faith is not trust and hope in things seen otherwise it wouldn't be faith right and without faith which is connected to the unseen it's impossible to please God so I believe that without faith, it's possible to please God is because the things we see through our eyes of our heart alone have the power to transform. That's why Jesus said, Thomas, you saw and you believe, but much, much more blessed are those coming after this who will see with a more powerful eyesight, the eyes of their heart, and believe. They're going to see how much more transforming that is. Fresh vision of Jesus will dispel the darkness of doubt and give us all a new beginning. 
Gang, it was true for those first followers and it can be true for us. If you read the book of Acts, you might find it hard to believe that that's the same Peter that preached the first bold sermon where 3,000 were saved. That that's the same disciples, most of whom gave their lives, that were cowering behind locked doors earlier. And that's because in a big way they weren't the same people. The darkness of doubt had been replaced with the light of a new beginning. And it honestly, gang, can happen easier for you today than even for them. Jesus' word to Thomas, one simple thing. I want you to get this. One word, and we'll close, because it's the same word for you. Believe. Believe. I've been praying for you guys. A lot of people have. That you would believe. I've been praying that you'd come here today and you wouldn't just open your eyes. You'd open the eyes of your heart. You'd open the ears of your heart and you'd believe. I'm gonna give you a moment to do that in just a few seconds. But I want you to think about it. I want you to think about this metaphor that has been pounded home for the last 45 minutes. And then you have a decision to make. You could walk out of here today no longer in darkness but in light. I hope you'll do that. Will you make today an Easter in your heart? Will you choose today to move from darkness to light? At just the right moment, in the fullness of time, into a world of darkness came a light that would shine. An infant hope in a desperate hour, clothed in secrecy, void of power, hunted by a king, sought by the wise, heaven rejoiced, darkness despised, tempted, tested, human divine, yet through it all the light would still shine. Growing in stature full of truth and grace, the light appears in the most unlikely place. Rejected by others, they felt the embrace. Dinner with a sinner, a rendezvous at night, in the midst of a storm with a boat full of fright. A man up a tree, a child on a knee, a captive set free. Broken and battered, wounded and shattered, fractured and tattered, their lives really did matter. Yes, through it all, the light would still shine. Threatened by change, exposed by acceptance, darkness attacks with lies and deception. Blasphemer, glutton, sinner, liar. As the enemy stoops lower, love stands higher, higher and deeper, longer and wider. Healer, friend, teacher, provider. Yes, through it all, the light would still shine. 
Religion unmasked, hypocrites taken to task. Answers pondered, questions asked. Which is the greatest? Who is my neighbor? How should we pray? Who does God favor? Stories with truth, uncommon, uncouth. Forgive and let go, not a tooth for a tooth. Blessed are the meek, turn the other cheek. Find when you seek, forget not the weak. Yeast and trees, seeds and wheat. Pearls and coins, hands and feet. Law fulfilled, love complete. Yes, through it all, the light would still shine. Then storm clouds gather, blacker than black. Thirty pieces of silver, a stab in the back, betrayed, denied, condemned to die, a crowd's lie, a mother's cry, a son's why. Then one last breath and the father sighs. The light grows dim and begins to subside. On a lonely hill, scoffers jeer. Darkness dances and evil cheers. The earth grows quiet. Hope disappears. Will the light shine again, or is this the end? Then out of the vastness of eternal dark grows the faintest of hopes, the tiniest spark. And mist, the silence a voice can be heard. In the beginning was God, and God was the Word. In Him was life, and that life was the light. And to all who received it, it gave them the right, the right to be children of the day, not the night. Darkness trembles at the sound of that phrase. First one day, then two days, then finally three days. Life begins to grow, evil begins to know. A stone begins to roll, and light begins to explode. In a resurrection glow, angels descend. Every knee bends, a savior appears. The followers hear words of life, not dread. Why seek the living among the dead? At just the right moment, in the fullness of time, into a world of darkness came a light that still shines. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus went through everything that's difficult. The perfect storm, spiritually, emotionally, physically, so that we could be faced with a choice so simple. I invite you now, if you want to move in every way from darkness to light, to pray with me. Hear me, please. It's not a magical prayer. It's a simple prayer. I want you to just pray at this silently from your heart, sincerely from your heart with eyes of your heart fully open, with the ears of your heart fully listening.
Some of you may even want to say it out loud. That's okay. As long as you're talking to God, not me. Darkness hurts. There's fear in darkness. There's confusion in darkness. What's saddest about darkness is how easy it is to step into the light and how so few people do it. But if you're ready to make that simple journey, pray with me in your heart as I lead you. Lord Jesus, be risen in my heart today. <clears throat> Shine your light into my darkness. Take away my confusion and my fear and my doubt. Overcome all my reluctance, overcome my procrastination, Father. I confess to you that I'm a sinner and I need you, Lord. And I turn to you right now and I claim your sacrifice on the cross for payment of all the wrong things that I've done. And I believe you rose and conquered death. I'm basing my life on that truth. So Jesus, please come into my heart and dispel the darkness there and save me. For it's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed, please. I know some of you reached out from the heart just now. So let me tell you what the Bible says about what you just did. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are royal priests now, a holy nation, God's very own people and possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. That's what just happened. Head still bowed and eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer from the heart, I want you to let me know in just a moment. And I'm going to do something, some of you have been with me, probably ready or familiar with it. If you're brand new to Impact Church, then maybe you haven't seen this and you'll wonder about it. I'm just going to ask you to identify yourselves. With no one looking around, eyes closed and heads bowed, I'll see you. So I'm just going to count to three. And the reason that I do that, I want you to raise your hand when I count to three. And the reason I do that is because I don't want you to hesitate. I want you to show me that the fear's been dispelled and the confusion's gone, and I want you to confess the Lord. Now, some of you go, I'm saved, I meant that, I know it. Why do I have to do this? You don't have to. I promise you raising your hand doesn't save you. It's just a way of identifying. And the Bible says in Luke 12, 8 and 9, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man, Jesus, I, Jesus, will also acknowledge him before the angels of God, but... Whoever disowns me or denies me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. I don't say that to scare you. I say that to give you courage so that you know how seriously the Lord takes this moment in your life and how true it is. Those of you that are truly saved will not be ashamed. So are you ready? And everybody else need not look around. But if you prayed that from your heart and meant it, on three, just lift your hand up and keep it up. I want to see you. One, two, three. Hands held high, held high. There are many, many hands up. Keep them high. I'm looking at you. But more importantly, the Lord is looking at you. Someone will come by and give you a bag. In that bag is a Bible 
and some information about next steps to take as a new believer. So please don't put your hand down or we can't get that to you. I see many, many people, 20, 25, 30 people saved in this service, beginning a harvest, well, that I think is just starting. Praise God for how he's moving. Please take that gift from us to you. The rest of you, open your eyes a moment and celebrate these new brothers and sisters. I've got one more thing. Darkness, Satan doesn't give up, gang, when you're saved. How many of you know that as believers? Boy, he doesn't give up. In some ways, he seems to turn up the heat, the heat of hell. And though it's hopeless and fearful and full of doubt and confusion, sometimes people return to it. Isn't that odd? Sometimes we run right back to the locked doors and the confusion and the fear and give up what we know to be true, that Jesus is with us. So those of you, I'm talking to you for just the last moments we have together. If you're already a believer here, but you have returned in any way, emotionally, spiritually, in any way to darkness, you need to change that before you walk out of here today. You need to live in boldness and victory, not as a victim. You need to again experience God's hope and love. If that's you, heads bowed and eyes closed again, one more time. Would you pray this with me? Believer, pray this. Lord God, thank you for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Thank you for calling us out of darkness and into your wonderful light. Help us to live in the light day by day and moment by moment. God, help me not to return to darkness and fear. I want to live the rest of my life in victory. Keep me from stealing back behind locked doors. Deliver me from ever again letting myself be dragged down by confusion and fear and doubt. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now listen, this is going to be harder, but you're already a Christ follower. And we're building, we say this a lot at Impact, we haven't actually officially opened as a church. We want to be a movement of God. We hope to open in the fall, in September, and we need people sold out. Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. So here's what I want to know. If you prayed that second prayer as a believer and you really want to move from darkness and victimhood to victory, I don't want you to raise your hand. I want you to stand up, and I'm not going to count to three. I just want you to stand up now boldly. I want to see who's committed to that. I'm only going to give you a few seconds, but stand if you did. Praise God. Listen, gang, God does not want you to live in darkness. He does not want you to live in fear. Your heavenly big brother, isn't that one of the beautiful things about Scripture? You are now sons and daughters of the living King and joint heirs with Christ. He's your brother. Sisters, he's your brother. Brothers, he's your brother now. Remember that big brother in school? You have one much greater than that. So why live in fear? Gang, listen, even in countries where they can take your life, Jesus conquered death. There's nothing to fear. We're victors. That's how God starts a movement. 
Have a happy Easter, gang. Thanks for worshiping with us.